Well, that was cool. I like that little soundtrack thing. It makes me feel like the church is like super into it. Uh, that's so cool. Man, so what's up, everyone? I feel like everyone's on this side. Like, I don't want to like angle myself this way. Hey, what's up? So, <laughs> how are y'all doing? Everyone, I, are y'all like me and you're just like super tired with today? Sweet. Well, Hopefully I don't bore you and you stay awake. So, oh man, it feels so good. Does anyone, thank y'all for wearing y'all's masks, but does anyone like feel like sometimes your mask is like consistently trying to kill you, like just strangle you to death? Especially if you have a tight one like me or if you just have a big face and you blame it on the tightness of the mask and you're like, oh God, yeah, that's me. Uh, and I also know I'm wearing a flannel even though it's 90 degrees outside, but some of us still have hope. So on that note, we're going to jump right into uh, tonight. We will be going through the parable of the talents. I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys have heard of that one, right? I feel like it's a pretty well-known parable. Um, uh, there's some other versions that, you know, it's a parable of the bags of gold, right? Like you've heard that one as well. So, cool. I feel like, you know, we all have an understanding of this parable. We all have some sort of idea, right? Like, like what is this parable about? But, and if you don't, then that's fine. This might be even easier for you to understand. But we're going to take a look at this. We're going to see if, you know, what Jesus has to give us that's new. But before we start that, does anyone have any siblings? Wow, there's a lot of you guys. Cool. Yeah, sweet. Siblings. I was the oldest of three. Yeah, and it's not a lot. It's not as much as the Scroggins family, which, man, I can't wait to see how that you know, turns out. But I was the oldest of three, and it was kind of cool until the, the other two were born. Um, and it, But if you're like me and you've had siblings, right, like you understand what like staying at home during the summer is like, right? Yeah, some of you are like, oh yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel you, man. Like, like those summer days, like they were, like parents are at work, you know, you have like eight, nine, seven hours, I don't know. You have some time, you know, with these little twerps, and it's great if you're the oldest. If not, you're the twerp, but you know, you have some time, right? And you're just like, you know, what can you do, right? You can binge on some TV. Back then when I didn't have any Netflix, I would watch movies just on DVD. Um, fun fact, Best Buy got rid of all their DVDs in, um, I think it's El Paso or something, so we're getting near the end. It's end time season, boys and girls. I don't know why I singled that out. So every summer, right, like we would have maybe one week of vacations in my family, like maybe a week, you know, because we just, my parents didn't like spending all that money. And we didn't go anywhere. I didn't have cool summer camps. I didn't have like, you know, nerd school or something in the summer. I didn't have anything fun to do, no like really long vacations or anything. And I had some friends, but I was like, we would cause too much of, you know, problems at the house to even have them over consistently, if you know what I mean. So, you know, it's just me and my brothers for 93 days, right? That's how long summer usually is about, unless you're listening to Phineas and Ferb and you can get more. So that's, that's 2,232 hours. Did you know that? Wow. That's 133,920 minutes with these, these beautiful beings, right? Ah, thank God we slept through half of that, am I right? So, so my dad, right, and you know, that's me and my brothers, we're three little stooges, we're dumb, we're annoying, we fight all the time. My dad, if you know me for a while, every time I talk about my dad and I use his voice, it always sounds like Batman, he's always like, Andrew, come over here and do the dishes, like, that's how my dad sounds in my head, and it's probably mentally not okay, and I probably have some emotional attachments to that or something, but baggage is good, um, but I have that, right? Like, and, and my dad, he's, if, if you understand what, like, what that means, right? Like, my dad's like Batman. You're probably like, oh, that's kind of cool. Or like, oh, he's your hero. So sweet. And like, no. Like, I, I, my dad's Batman as in, like, me and my brothers are like Robin, Nightwing, and, and Batwoman, or Alfred or something. I don't know. Batman's our master. You know what I mean? Like, my dad, like, comes out, and he has, like, a list of things for us to do. Like, just... Like 6 a.m., he leaves it on the like kitchen counter. He's like, "All right, y'all have fun today." 
we're like, okay, let's look at what's on the list. I hope it's not long today. Like, and it's like, oh, gut the restroom, tear out all the wallpaper, like clean it, drain the pool, fill it back up with your spit. Like, like it's like, we're like, oh my God, this sucks. Like every day was boot camp, right? Like does anyone have a summer? Like growing up, your summers were boot camp. You're like free labor. No, if you, oh, you're so lucky. I envy you. So, like, it was boot camp for us. And we were like like a little cleaning Navy SEAL militia going on. Like, it was weird. Like, we just, we knew how to, like, neutralize all targets in our house. Like, we had, like, a plan and a layout, blueprints. We were, like, ready to go. But, like, it was always cool to see, like, oh, man. Like, if I were to say my dad was like Batman, people were like, oh, that's so cool. Like, they get the Gotham side, right? Like, he's so cool. He's smart. He's mysterious, maybe. He can be a cool role model. Like, all these cool things, right? I wish. But, so my dad would leave 6 a.m., get back about 5 p.m., you know, because traffic and stuff. But, you know, here we thought we were going to have, like, a little Ferris Bueller day kind of thing. Like, even though that's steering school, but we were going to have it. Uh, you know, summer's like our summer school for us. And, but to think about, like, my dad, man, he gets to leave, like, the cool, sick bat cave in the morning, leave with his Batmobile and leave his bat runts here at the house, like, picking up all our, you know, like, just, I was going to say guano. But anyways, so, and my dad, like, does anyone else have, like, a dad that's, like, super security safe, like, cameras everywhere and, like, locks on everything? That was my dad. He had, like, cameras in the house that would, like, have microphones in it so he could, like, scream at us. The doorbell screams at us, and it's my dad's voice. Like, it's kind of, kind of scary. So, long intro short, the reason I feel like this parable is relatable to me is because, like, at times I, I can kind of see myself like, oh, yeah, like, you know, a parable, it has, like, three servants in it, right? Like, the, me and my brothers. <laughs> like, that's nothing new. <laughs> like, oh, it has a master. I'm like, yeah, master is like my dad, like, tell us what to do all the time. And uh, my dad won't watch this probably, but if he does, that'd be cool. Anyways, <laughs> But it's, it's like, like, it feels like kind of like a funny, like, oh, this parable is going to be some sort of like, you know, here are these, these little kids, and here's like a good one, here's a bad one, like something like a joke, like, or to me in my head, I'm like, oh, it's like three servants walking to the bar, and the master says, and I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say that as a Christian on YouTube, but it was sarcasm. So, but no better time than now to pray. So let's pray, because I need it. Uh, <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I pray that you speak um, to these students tonight, to, to my friends and people who um, want to just disciple and, and to learn more about your kingdom, more about reality, and more about the things that your heart breaks for, Lord. Lord, I pray that you're with us, that you um, help us just have ears to listen, Lord, that you're speaking to us, and um, you're speaking through me, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. So, Everyone pull out your handy-dandy bat Bible. I said that because it's a funny joke, but it's probably sacrilegious. Anyway, so turn to Matthew 25, 14 to 30. If not, we have it right here on the screens. We're going to read through the parable, right, to get a, a good understanding of what it is. So, Matthew 25, 14 to 10. Then the man who had received... Nope, that's not it. Go back to verse 14. Do we have it? If not... Are we good? Cool. So, a little context. This is shortly after uh, Jesus has just made the prediction um, that the temple will be destroyed, right? Like, to us, that's the equivalence of, like, you know, someone threatening to blow up the White House or the Pentagon or something. Like, it's a really big deal. And so, they ask when Jerusalem will fall. And he says, 40 years. And, and then they ask, well, well, when will you, Jesus, like, you know, king of all nations, like, when will justice come to Jerusalem's kingdom? And, and Jesus said, not 40 years, uh, but, but he's like, I, actually, you know, I don't know. The angels don't know. Like, only the Lord our Father knows. And this conversation launches them into, like, a, just a whole sea of teaching. It's uh, the parables. It's these short stories, right? And when he explains what it means to be his disciple, it's like, within the, it's in the in-between times, right? Like, the, after the 40 years, after the, the temple falls, like, when, when he's gone, like, up until, you know, when he comes back until, uh, until that time. But, but how does Jesus want us to live in the seasons of waiting, right? Like, it's been 2,000 years and counting. It's still going. And at any point, the kingdom can come. 
right? And so we need to collective, uh, we need to cultivate a mindset of expectations. And so he tells us this parable of, you know, people that, that weren't ready, like the story of the 10 young women that were invited to the wedding and then the, the wedding came, but they weren't ready yet. I mean, like, it's not that typical or anything. But, or the, the other story of the guy that was given all these responsibilities by his boss, right? And, and then his boss went out on a journey and then came back. And, you know, this, this dude was just parting it all up, squandering it all, and, and it ended bad for him, right? And, like, so, so Jesus gives us another one here, like this story of, of living in constant readiness, so, so Jesus isn't just going to tell us to just be ready, to, you know, to just live, to just do it. But he wants us to, to be able to explore that, to explore what it actually looks like to live in a constant state of readiness. Like, what, what does that mean? Does that mean to have like a, like a, like a end-of-the-world D-Day backpack in the back of your trunk? Some of you might have that. Or like a zombie apocalypse fanny pack. I hope none of you guys have one of those. But, like, I don't think that's what he means, right? Like, when he says, like, be prepared or, like, live in a state of readiness, I don't think that's what he means. Because many areas of Christian subtraditions, especially topics when it's addressing or it's about the end of the world, it actually makes people care less about the day-to-day, right? Like, I feel like it because people are like, everything's going to burn anyways. Like, ah, it's all, it's going to be the end of the world. I'm going to heaven. Like, you know, like, people just don't care about it. And so... But what Jesus means is that every moment, every day is charged with significance. That's what he's trying to show us. And every person you meet, any conversation, every conversation, it's all meaningful. It gives everything meaning. So, so what does that look like practically, right? Like, well, he, he tells us this parable. Hear about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another one, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So let's stop real quick. Let's look at that, because that's really cool, like talent or bag of gold. Talent to us is the English word, right? Like we're like, oh, I have skills, talents, my tech deck skills, whatever it is. But however, we're, I mean, we're going to mention that but we're not going to, like, just look at that um, alone. We're going to look at the resource that he's talking about. Talent is a measure. It's a unit of money, right? And so it's an ancient Greek word. Um, some, I've, I've read some things that people believe it's like, ah, oh, we don't know if it's one year of someone's income, five years or 20 years. I saw more of the 20 years. Um, but most scholars say a talent or a bag of gold is about 6,000 denarii or 20 years of daily wages for a six-day worker. Today, one talent would be about $348,000 probably. And the, the one that gets five, which is a lot, is equivalent to about $1,740,000. Even if it's not accurate, that's a lot, right? Like even over $100,000. If someone gave you that, that's a lot of money, right? And so, so back to verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. And he's like, see, I have gained five more, his master replied. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, as if like hundreds of thousands of dollars is a few. A few things. And he says, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness or joy. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's joy. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came in. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Now, 
we're going to pause real quick. That's new, right? Like, is there anywhere in this parable that shows you that the master is just a really mean person, right? Like, so far, I would say no. But it's kind of the opposite of that. He's nice, he's happy, and he seems like a good person to work for so far. So keep that, let's, let's keep going. So he says, harvesting where you, where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I have harvested where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, right? So that I, when I return, I would receive, back, receive it back with interest. He says, so take the bags of gold. I and mean, he's probably you know, talking to like servants or someone or guards. But he says, take the bags of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoa, right? Like, like Jesus, like this story was going great, and then it took like a huge left turn. Like what a roller coaster. But Jesus, I mean... You got to remember he's a master storyteller, right? Like he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. And, and he knows how to like surprise us and like make us like be like, hey, that doesn't sound right. But I know there's a few of us that kind of probably sympathize with this third servant, right? Like, you know, we're like, ah, maybe the guy just was, you know, not having a good day or good week. And, you know, maybe he didn't have an affirming father. Or, like maybe he was just nervous and scared. And then there's some that are probably like, nah, that servant, he got what he deserved. Like he was, he was wicked, right? Or, or maybe there's some of us have some sort of like reservations of the master, right? Like, you know, you're a successful businessman. You have this timid, scared servant that, you know, didn't do exactly what you told him to do. And you treat him so harshly. You know, like, it, it's kind of dark and twisted, like, the way you treated him. You know, and so, so you think, like, maybe the master's kind of a jerk, right? Like, like, we're having, you know, you don't understand it, right? So, Jesus told this story to, to get us to think about who God is and, and who he is and, and what our role is in this and, and, and to kind of get us thinking, I think. I think he knows what he's doing. And he kind of messes with us. And I think, it, I think it's enough to bother us, right, internally. Um, but, like, our, our view in stories, right? Like, if we think about America, us, our generation, whatever it is, your age, our view on stories has, like, plot and different things where we're like, you know, everyone has their hang-ups. We all mess up, right? Like, we're like, everyone wins, or there's a love interest, or, you know, we, there's this cute Netflix original that has this really, like, whatever it is. Like, but at the end of the day, Jesus is not a Gen Z American, right? Like, he's not. And, and, and things we don't always, things don't always work out the way that we think that they should, right? Like he's telling a story in a first century Jewish Roman cultural setting. It's different than ours. It's very, very different. It's an honor-shame culture. So before we just overlook the parable as a whole, we need to take a look at what Jesus is actually trying to tell us, right? And there's all these things that you probably, you know, like me, I was like, I've never noticed this before. But... Let's walk through this parable real quick and see what Jesus is highlighting. Um, but really quick before we do that, I kind of want to just remember something. Like, one, who is telling this parable to us, right? Like, it's, it's Jesus. Like, we know that, right? But so, so Jesus is a guy who, or is he a guy who, like, paints, you know, people with wealth and influence or people who abuse their positions of authority in bright colors, right? Like, probably not. No, he usually calls them out, right? Or does he typically, you know, overlook people that are timid or shy with low self-esteem, like we're thinking about the other servant? No, he actually fixates on these kind of people. He focuses on them with compassion and attention and, and grace. So whatever is happening in this story, it, it's different somewhere, right? Like there's something off. And so someone has something off. So number one, who's telling the story? It's this Jesus that we just said. And, and number two, what's the bigger picture, right? Like, like the parables are always trying to fit the bigger picture of the, the kingdom, God's mission, right? Like that, that's, 
I think that's what God is doing. Like, what's God's mission? These stories are, are about what he's doing there in Jerusalem. It's, it's to announce the kingdom of God and to bring God's reign and rule into the world. So, so Jesus is in the business of forming a new people around himself, uh, people, people of new covenant, right? Like he, he gives his teaching, that this is what he does to these people who are saying they're his disciples. He really expects them to follow him and that they do, uh, they, they do what God has made his people to do, which is to be his disciple and a blessing to others, right? And so... I think it's really cool because Jesus isn't just going to live, die, and then raise for people to just sit back and be like, yeah, I got my free ticket. I'm out of here. Or like, you know, I, I'm good till, till then. But it's totally not that. That's not what the Bible tries to tell us. Like it's, it's during these teachings, Jesus is showing us that there is a God that's giving. And he's giving real people real responsibilities. And he means it. He's giving you real responsibilities, and he means it. He means for us to take that responsibility seriously. I, I really believe he does. I don't, I, I don't think it's too confusing. So the whole point is that humans become what God has made us to be. So, so the story is like, and it's to be with him and, and to, to be a blessing to others. It's about what it's like to be a part of the kingdom and to be his disciple. So there's this master. He goes on a journey, right? And, and in the meantime, the master is like handing out these resources, these, these bags of gold to a servant. Five bags of gold. Like, that's generosity right there. Like, like, but, but they all, if you notice it, they all get different amounts, right? Like, so, so what's the principle of distribution? Like, each to their own ability. And I love that that part's in there. Like, I really... Uh, each to their own ability. It's key. So this says something about the servants, and it says something about the master, right? Like, like in the economy of heaven, there is no one-size-fits-all. The same thing is not expected of everybody in terms of results, but something is expected of everybody. It may be different. It may be different things, but everybody is responsible for something, it's not that, oh, everyone has to be like blank, or oh, everyone needs to be like this person, unless it's Jesus, but, but everybody is called to grow, right? Like we're all called to grow and to do something for the kingdom. So each servant is expected to be productive to the degree that they are capable. It's very profound. There's no comparing. It's not, you're, you know, it's not like you have to, take the same amount that the, the other servant has to take, and you have to do the exact same thing. Like, it, no, it's, it's personal. He's like, this person, you're you. You have your story, your life, your abilities, your talents. You're fully capable of this, of this amount. Like, he, he knows them. And what does that say about the goodness of the master, right? Like, it, it says a lot. It says that he really knows these guys, right? Like, like he has this intimate knowledge and, and knows the person with five is fully capable of that five, right? He knows that, that it's not a, too great of a demand or too little of a demand, right? But the person with two, if, he, if I give him five, it could probably break him. He's not ready for that. It might ruin him. But I know him. I know he can do two, right? So y'all catching what I'm trying to say? You picking up what I'm putting down? Cool. So, so the master gives exactly what they're capable of. So the first guy, he gets 100% return, right? You know, had five, got five more. It's pretty awesome. The second guy goes out and gets his return. Is it, high, is it a higher return than the first guy, right? Like, is it, is it more? No. But it, you can tell it's not about that, right? Because the cool part is, is they both receive the same the same gift, the same return, the same reward. So there's something clear. Hopefully it clicks to you that, like, there's something, okay, you know, he got five, he got five more, he got two, he got two more, and they still had the same response. 
But the third guy is a contrast. He's got something weird inside of him, right? Like, like I mean, he digs holes and puts money in it. Like, like he, he hides it. He hides it. And I learned this uh, yesterday, but this is really cool. The word hide is, I, it's used in the ser- on the Sermon of the Mount. Like the, the city on the hill, you're a light that shines out to everybody. Like, but, but what you should not do is hide under a basket. Like it's the same image of someone given this amazing resource and responsibility from Jesus, from God. And what do they do with it? They hide it. They dig a hole and just hide it. So, so if it's not only using your talents and your gold tech deck skills or juggling or whatever you guys play uh, among us or whatever, like it's not about using your skills and abilities only, but it's more than that. Like these bags of gold, these talents, like it's money. Money is a resource, right? Like you make some to live off of, you generate it. Um, it covers cost of living. But there's something about money that, that when we have excess, right, like, well, like what we do with it says a lot about us. It says a lot about our character. It says a lot about you, right? Like what you do with what you have. And so, I mean, because you could spend it, right? You could save it, buy stuff you want, maybe don't need. But, or you could use it for someone else's well-being, right? And how, how we make those choices says a lot. And that's what I, that's what the image I think he's trying to use with money. So, so he, envision, he envisions each of these servants receiving resources. And, and resources create opportunities. And not everyone's the same. Like we all, we all have different resources, different opportunities, right? But and we get it. Not everyone's the same. But but it's very intuitive. Like, Jesus doesn't expect the same out of all of us, but he expects something out of all of us. We all have something, right? What do you have? You have relationships, right? You have people. You probably have money. Maybe you don't. But, or you have opportunities, right? We all have something. And it's for that that we produce fruit in the world, right? Like, it's, it's that is what we use for discipling. That's what we use to grow the kingdom, to, to become a blessing to others. And it's because we follow God. So it says, after a long time, like, like it's, it's not a, just a week, like this guy has crunch time, right? Like his boss is like, hey, get this done at the end of the week. Make these investments. Like it says, he says a long time. And I'm assuming that he does, Jesus says that on purpose, right? Like it's not a month. This could be a really long time, Right? It's not like this guy just had a bad week or maybe even a bad month or an injury, right? Like, and he had to recoup or something. It was like, I'll dig a hole even if I'm injured and just bury it there. Like, like the whole point is, it's, it's kind of funny that that's, like, emphasized, I think. I think it's cool that it's highlighted. But this is a long time. And the whole point is Jesus is interested in teaching us, I think, this lesson about this guy is that it's how people's behaviors there are a window into their character, right? Like the things that these people are choosing to do tells us their character, tells us who they are, right? It's like this, this lifestyle of this third servant uh, chooses to live, like the way he chooses to live reflects, it is a reflection into his window, his value, his heart, what he thinks about the master, right? Like, these others, they're quick, they're faithful, they're productive, and, and this other one sits on it for, for God knows how long, but he does nothing. And it's not even that he fails, like he tries and fails, right? It's that he does nothing. Maybe he said the same exact excuses that, that maybe we use today. I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough time, you know? I could use my money for something better. Some, I'd need to take care of this. Right? Or like, it's too hard. I mean, even if I haven't tried, it's too hard. Or I, I just, there's cooler things to do. There's volleyball, video games, board games, going out with friends all the time. There's stuff I could do now, and I could do the investing later on. Right? Like, we're like, we, we think we figure it out. 
We come up with all of these, like, these, these excuses. But it's that heart, it's that mindset that makes him a wicked servant. It, it, it's a different kind of rejection and failure, right? And it was a long time of this guy being like, I just, I don't care enough. You know? I don't, I don't care enough. Whatever his motivation is, he doesn't value what his master values. He puts it in the ground. And then the master comes back, it's D-Day, right? Like the, the day to settle all accounts. And, you know, number five comes in, the guy with five. He comes in, like, oh, awesome. You know, it's obviously not about the profit, but the master is just thrilled, right? Like, dude, look at what you just did. Look at what you accomplished with what you had. It's so awesome. Come and share in my joy. Like, this is amazing. And then the, the, the second one comes in. Yay, awesome, well done. Same response. He's not like, oh, did you see the other guy? <laughs> you know, or he's not, he's not like, ah, oh, you know this family produces five, right? Like, you know, he, he go out and try again. But he, he doesn't compare them, right? He, he doesn't value each of these people based on the other. Remember, it's, it's each to their own ability, you see, it's, it's beautiful. He's, he's delighted in seeing uh, these, these people grow and, and to, to do things with what they have. He's excited. It, it's not even about the money. He, he knows that this servant put in a lot of work. His servant went in, you know. His servant, it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it does say that, like, they, they, they kind of, like, instantly went and did this, right? Probably didn't sit on it, think about it, you know, count the money, see how much was really in it. Like, they, they instantly just started, I'm, I'm going to take this. This is, what, this is what my master gave me, and I'm just going to go put it to work, right? And it's that kind of quick obedience. Like, there was something there. It was almost like a fire. But it was just like this sense of urgency for the kingdom. And, and you know, it's, it's, the money is it's immaterial. It doesn't matter to the master. And you see later that he actually gives them the profit, right? Like, he gives the money to them. And so, it kind of makes you think, like, wow, geez, this boss is awesome. I want to work for him, right? Like, sign me up. Like, ah, is there, you know, like, you're like, it's kind of like the feelings that Jesus is probably wanting you to feel, right? Like, this is the kingdom. This is the master. This is something to get excited about, you know? This is, this is incredible. Do you see that? Do you see the picture? Then, then the third guy comes in. It's his time. And, and the guy who technically had the least to lose, he had won. Right? He, he says, Master, listen. You know, I, I know you're a hard man. Like, Jesus knows exactly what he's, you know, trying to say it to us. And you know, he's a hard person, like a hard man, like kind of like a rock, stubborn. You know, you're a jerk of a man. But are we supposed to believe this guy? Do you, do you believe this guy? Like, if you were to hear him speak like that, you'd be like, no, he's not. This master is not a jerk. You got the wrong guy. Come on the next shift. You see, wait till you see that guy, right? Like, like it's, you know that this is, this is off, right? This is what he thinks of the master. If how people's behavior is a window into their character, is there one ounce of truth from this guy? based off of his behavior that we believe. Is there any truth in this that, that makes, that kind of changes the kind of person that the master is? Not for me. No, it's the opposite. Like, oh, Jesus is brilliant. Like, we, we have this character that Jesus just created for us. Like, we realize that this dude has some story in his head that just doesn't make sense. It's not reality. He views the master as a jerk, and, and he tells you, and, and the, the servant tells you why he says that, too. He's like, Master, look, like, look at how successful you are. You know, like, like you make profit even when you're not even trying. You know, like, he's, like, saying all this stuff. And, and, and this, is, this is when we're tempted to be like, like, for me, the movie I think of is Claudia with the Chance of Meatballs. Have you ever seen that? Oh, I'm so happy. So I love that movie. So it's kind of like, for me, I think of, like, Flint Lockwood, you know, like, where he's like, 
his dad works at the tackle shop, and he's, like, trying to get his son to go work there. And he's like, Dad, I don't want to work there. Like, I have bigger dreams. I have plans of my own. Like, he's like, science, and I'm going to build a rocket. It's going to make food, like, stuff like that. And you see him, like, kind of, like, defy, like, and you kind of feel bad for his dad. And then you kind of, like, understand Flint Lockwood, too. You're like, yeah, do what you, you know, your mom bought you that science lab. That's too, the science lab coat thing. That's too big for you. But you get what I mean, right? Like, we all probably have our own movie in our head. But, like, like we, we want to think it's like that. But I think that's where our mind wants to go. Like, but, you know, oh, he's just struggling out there. The streets are hard. <laughs> like, like, we're like, man, like, he's, he's trying out there. You know, cut, get, cut him some slack. And, and, you know, he's in a high-performance environment. These other, look at that guy with five. You know, like, how can he, you got to let him catch up. Maybe learn a little bit. You know, like, like we try to do that, but is that, what, is that what is really happening here? Like, like, all we know is this guy has an image about the master that does not bear close to reality. And what he's observed is that the master is just a hard worker who's successful. I mean, but what he fails to realize is that, I mean, it's been shown from the other servants that 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 hard work and success is something that the master wants to share and bring people into. And he doesn't even see that. He doesn't even recognize that. doesn't say anything about it. He thinks that this is all just an evil plan to sink his fun battleship. You know, like he's like, I got my yacht. I'm going to, you know, I'll do my own thing. Like, but he, he, he comes up with all these lies and excuses that the master can see right through. Right through it. And that's why he calls him out. You wicked and lazy. You wicked, wicked. So you assume the worst about everybody. There's something inside of you that compels you to see the worst and to assume the worst about other people. And so you treat them accordingly. Wicked. You're, you're lazy. You're lazy. Look at what you did with what you have. You don't value anything. You don't value anything other than the things you have, right? Like, so, so if it's not your idea, you're not really motivated to do anything because, you know, it's for someone else and you just don't care enough. You're wicked and lazy. And so why does he call them out? Like, I feel like if this was a fear thing, right? Like if, if this dude was just scared and he's like, I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do with this much money. Like, I feel like, you know, the master would be like, it w- would understand it. But the fact, and, and he says it, and Jesus, you know, puts it in the parable for us. You could have at least gotten interest. You could have put it in the bank. Calls them straight out. Like, just, you know, there's your crutch. You know, like, like you, you did nothing. At least show a little bit of thoughtfulness. But instead, you buried it in the ground, which betrays his words. So it's not about fear, right? It's a disobedience is what we see. What he thinks about the master is nothing. And that's exactly what he did with what the master gave him. Nothing. Jesus is creating this character for us to, to show us his behavior. Not Jesus's, but the servant's behavior. What he really thinks. It shows us his distorted heart, his distorted mind. And nobody can't prove different to him, right? Like, no one can change his mind. He has this, like, he's trapped in his own head. It's, it's locked into this place where of, of refusal and rejection of his master. He's created that in his head. So what happens next? You know, we just read it. He gets his one bag taken from him, given to the one with ten. And, and we have this principle here. Whoever has will be given more. And then whoever doesn't have, what they do have will be taken from them. So Jesus is kind of like stepping a little bit out of the parable, like slightly, just to kind of like give us this amazing, cool principle. Like he's talking about this inverse relationship, right? Like, like it's, it's a proportion of spiritual perception. Like, like the centerpiece of this whole story is that there's these two portraits of the master. Like, this is it. Like, the, there's, there's his actions, the master's actions, that show us how good he is, how caring and generous, and, and that he actually want, has intimate knowledge about these, these servants. He wants to spend time and, and share joy with them. 
gives them the profit, like, and, and he wants them to share in this success together, right? And then there's the other portrait. Like, he's, a, he's just a jerk trying to make profit. And, you know, viewing, viewing in that way, like viewing a master in that way, there's something about that that I get it. You know, like maybe, maybe it's you, right? Maybe, maybe it was you. But at times it feels like Jesus just isn't, you know, the master is not good, you know, or like God just wasn't there. He doesn't care enough or, or he, he is a jerk. You know, look at all the wrong that he's done in my life. Like this, it's, it's because of him and this is, I'm hurting because of this. And, and I can, it, it could be that. Or it could have just been the, the representation of Christianity that you've been shown. Like maybe you've been hurt by some self-righteous Christians or some really bad people who did some really wrong things, right? Like, I, I get it. Trust me. It's very easy for that to be an airtight case for why Christianity is, is so wrong for you or so wrong in this world. And, and, and it doesn't matter what anyone else says. It, it just feeds to that story. Maybe you've been in that place before. Maybe you're in it now. But, but there are some of you tonight, like, who, yes, yeah, like, you know, you, you first, your, your fists are, are closed so tight from, like, pain and hurt, rejection, and, and you kind of just don't want to open it up, right? You can't even fathom it, like, just unclenching your fist, like, you can't. But it's those people whose hands are open towards Jesus, right? Like, it's, it's, it's these people, like, uh, it's, it's then, it's then all of a sudden they're, they're, they're open-minded, they're, they're, they're able to see the, the different version of who he really is, right? Like, they're just open, a version based off of his behavior, about what scripture says to be true, about the, the thing, the way he actually treated people, the way Jesus treated people, you begin to see that. Like, that's, that's why I'm here. Like, why are you here? We meet here every week. Why? For me, I believe this. I believe the master's good. I do. He's been good to me. And, and he's inviting us to be with him and like him. What an opportunity right? And that's why I get, I get so motivated and fired up. That's why I feel like I could even stand up here. And, and it's, that's when I feel like life changes. That's when I feel like transformation happens. And the band can come back up, Jonathan, if you want, if you can. If not, Pam can. Hopefully. I'm sorry I spoke for you, Pam. <laughs> so this story, the, the servant who who, the servants who did good, right? Like the first two, the first two good servants. Like, it, it wasn't that they were just the exception, right? Like, they're not just like some, they just knew how to be a good Christian. Does that make sense? Like, it wasn't just because they were like, oh, you know, he's on staff, or oh, he's a pastor, or oh, he, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not that. And I need you to understand that, because I feel like it's easy for us to think that. There's not people who are just better, at this than you. It's that the master has called them to participate in something and that they actually became more of who they're supposed to be. They, they became themselves. And it's from that generosity of the master. It's, it's, that's where the life chains come from. That's where the exception is, I guess. It's not because they just are better at this than you. We don't want to become like the other guy, right? We don't want to become like the third servant. It's almost like he's becoming less human and more wicked, you know? And he gets further from reality. And, and I love the way Chris said this last year. Um, intellectual deception always follows moral rejection. People don't usually have good intellectual reasons to disobey God. It's a moral aspect, right? Like they, they, they want to reject God's morality, and then they try to use this intellect and these excuses to justify it. 
Like the, the need for this is all based on the fact of the, the perception in the mind, you know, of the servant towards the master, his refusal. He actually was wicked. And it's hard for me to even say that because I, I, you know, I felt bad for this guy. But this servant, you know, who doesn't do anything with what he has, right? Like he buries it. Like he falls into darkness. And we see, we see fire and darkness as examples that Jesus gives us for people. But it's an existence where I, I've chosen a story of what I've decided, you know, Jesus, who Jesus is. I've decided what, what I think about him. And I want nothing to do with him. That's darkness. It's a faith that this guy chose. Right? Like the, the master understood it. This servant actually doesn't want to be here. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about the responsibilities, the things I gave him. He doesn't care. And, and so the master, he's good. He grants him what he wanted. A life without him, a life without the master. This man is selfish. What other way do you tend to a man who only is so selfish and wants himself? Isolation? You alone with you, alone in darkness? It's what you wanted. A life all about you? Away from the master? Like it's, it's not about being a good or a bad person either. Like, I don't want you to take it away, uh, take it the wrong way. It's about have, have I woken up to a true vision of who the master is? It has nothing to do if, if you're good or you're bad. Like, you know, like, or how to be good and how to not be bad. Like, it's a, it's a vision of the, the joy on his face. The joy he wants to spend with you. And to share with you, it's, it's how he knows that you can be so much more and do so much for those around you and be a blessing to others because he knows what you're capable of. Not to become like the person just sitting next to you, not to become like them, not to become like the person sitting in front of you. It's not to become like other people. It's not. But the version that, that he had made you to be, the version that you were intended to be, and he knows that you're capable of it, right? And that's what he invites you to. That's what I invite you to tonight. He says, follow me. And that's what he expects you to do. And it's, it's this expectation that's formed that Jesus is, you know, trying to share. That these parables, all of these parables that we've been, if you've wondered, if you've caught on, we've been talking about parables all semester. They all have... Th- a reason to show us more about the kingdom, right? And, and to show us who God is, what heaven is like, what the kingdom is like, what reality is like. It's so beautiful. And I hope you see that. Or I hope you see it a little bit more clearly tonight. His plans are, you know, they're full of grace and mercy. It's good. You see how good the master is. You truly see how good the master is. And if not, maybe you don't. Maybe you still just don't, right? Or if you're like, Andrew, you know, I've been that third servant, right? Like, like I haven't seen God this way. He's not, you know, he's, I don't, I'm, I don't believe he's good. What you're describing to me seems too good to be true. Like, 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 what, what did those servants do so differently? Because everything I've done makes me feel like I'm away from God, right? Or makes me feel like I can't, I can't get a devotional life. I can't, I don't pray right. I don't read right. I don't know things. What makes those, those servants different? They did nothing different. What they did do, all they did was just empty themselves and become obedient to the master, <laughs> Who would have thought it would have been that easy, right? That's what, that's what made those servants so faithful, so quick. You know, like they, they listened and, and trusted the master. They loved the master. They gave it a shot. You know, they, they dove, they, they, they went all in. Maybe they invested a little bit more. And they're like, I'm going to try. 
right? Quickly, with no hesitation. So I want you to take this time tonight, like while, you know, we're going to jump into a song, but to, to pray, to, to reflect, to meditate on what you have or what you can give, what do you do with what you have. You know, we know Missions Week is coming, and, and we all know that, that we're trying to raise $5,000, right? Like, we know that. And I know that that's our challenge, but I also want to challenge you with something else. What else can you give these missionaries? Like, what else? Like, think about how amazing it will be if you give them just more time, more energy. You get less sleep. You really, you want to go and listen to them. Give them your attention. Right? Because if it's just about putting a $5 bill or a $50 bill in a bucket and you walk away and you don't really care, what good is that? Right? Like, what else can you do? What else can you give? How can you serve them? And I think that that's my challenge. It might, be, it might be too hard. It might be harder than money. It's easier to just put a few bills in a bucket, right? But I promise it'll probably be worth it. And I also promise that you're not alone. You're going to have over a dozen of other people doing the same thing. We're going to be putting in our time and energy. We're going to be serving. We're going to be loving on these people. And it might be a next step for you, right? So take this time. Be alone with the Lord. I think this time might need to be more personal between you and God. And I believe that this time that's spent with the Lord is always really valuable. Just you and God. Maybe you reflect on, you know, what servant do I look more like? You know, it's easy for us to want to be the, the, the one with five, but, you know, which one am I like now? Like truly, do I value what God values? Have I formed an unrealistic identity of, of my good master? That's not probably real, not accurate. Would I have been entrusted to invest time and energy, money, effort, friendship? Like, God, God's going to give you these things. You have some of these things already. Maybe you can spend time with the Lord to reflect and think about what you can do with these, these friendships. And so, we'll go ahead and play a song. I'm all done. We'll spend some time with the Lord and then we'll come back and then you'll be released.